0: You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Over-the-counter treatments, sedative hypnotics, sedating antidepressants, even antipsychotics, how do you best treat insomnia? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Austin, Texas, sleep physician, Dr. Doug Hudson. He's the founder of Sleep Medicine Consultants, and the Austin Neurological Clinic. Dr. Hudson also serves as principal investigator at future search trials of neurology and sleep disorders, is medical director of rehabilitation at Texas Neuro Rehab Center. A busy man. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Leslie.
0: Dr. Hudson, how do you suggest a primary care provider start an evaluation for insomnia?
1: Of course, the patient has to complain of it first, and it's well known that the majority of patients actually never talk to their doctor about insomnia. They think it's something they can deal with on their own or something that no one would really care about. That's the only good thing, I think, about the advertising on the television now is that people do talk about getting a good night's sleep and things like restless leg syndrome, and uh, while it may be incorrect sometimes, it does at least allow that the entree for the patient to talk to the doctor about it. I think the primary care doctor is essential in all of this because they see the patient first, and we know that insomnia is so common, and it's especially common in people who are so-called predisposed to it. Now, that predisposition is not exactly known, but we know that people are predisposed to it, underlying anxiety or something like that, or family history or some, something that happened, and then you have a precipitating factor, some event, the house burns down, a divorce, a, a bankruptcy, or just anything, some traumatic event precipitates it, especially menopause, especially pregnancy and delivery. And at that time, it's essential that the doctor keep in mind to, to keep the patient asleep and get get some sleep almost at all costs, because if this is left untreated, then it becomes sort of perpetuating, and then we see the patients, you know, let say they haven't slept in 10 years, and they've taken every medicine in the book, and so we start off by, you know, analyzing that. We use techniques, sleep hygiene, most of them have read everything in every magazine that's been published, and, but we have a few simple things about temperature in the room and start looking at some sleep hygiene issues, and the primary care physician doesn't have time for that for the most part, and so we do that, and then we sometimes refer people to physicians or psychologists who do what we call cognitive behavioral therapy. They want the quick fix, so we often have to use medication. And the last thing we want to do is give them something that's going to leave them with a hangover, or that has a lot of side effects, or something that's never been approved of, through clinical trials, or approved by the FDA for sleep. But that's what everybody seems to do, you know. They want to go to take Sominex or Tylenol PM, and, Pardon my brand names, but I mean, everybody almost heard generic names now, but, uh, and then over-the-counter drugs like that, uh, great names, you know, Forty Winks, Herbal teas, and different things like that. And, you know, if people take a drug or take a little melatonin at a low dose or something and sleep well, at first we would never see them anyway, but, so we try to get them off of that. We spend time taking people off of some of these medicines that just put them to sleep, and then we start using the traditional or FDA-approved type drugs and work on that. But that's what we do. Now, the primary care doctor, of course, has to do all those things I said earlier, and that's, you know, try to get them to sleep. And if they don't get back on a cycle pretty quickly to get them to see somebody that deals with insomnia.
0: So I'm still a little confused about when we should refer to you. So many of our patients do have insomnia. Uh, When is it over my head?
1: Well, I would say it's how you feel in the daytime. As I have uh, told many patients, I said, if you feel great 22 hours out of 24 and only sleep two hours, I wouldn't be seeing you. But if you are sleeping eight or ten hours a night, or whatever your genes tell you to sleep, and you're tired and sleepy during the day, or you're not feeling well during the day, then you've got a problem. It's either the medication you're taking is wrong, or you're not getting, or the sleep pattern itself is not right. So I would say that if you have a patient that you start them on something, uh, some sleeping medication, and it works, and they've been on this medicine for a few days or weeks even, and they've had an event, pregnancy, some traumatic event, or for some reason that seems to trigger it, and, and they are doing fine, and then they taper the medicine, and they're doing fine in the daytime, then those are people you've had a success with, but if you have, somebody's been on a hypnotic for two or three months regularly, maybe not once a week, but regularly, uh, and they're not feeling well in the daytime, unless you want to specialize in that problem. Then I think that's those are the ones you need to refer out to someone who deals with that.
0: Let's talk about the most common, Medicines that people do use for sleep and love to get your thoughts about them. Uh, Certainly, one of the most common that I hear not only among psychiatrists but among everybody is trazodone. What do you think about trazodone in insomnia?
1: Well, it is a very commonly used drug, it's generic, it's cheap, and it does work. It does put people to sleep, but sleep is not just sleep. We want to have normal sleep to feel good the next day. If someone's taking a small dose like 25 milligrams, which is probably the smallest dose you could, would ever prescribe, and they sleep fine and feel good the next day. We don't usually see these patients or have much of a problem. But unfortunately, what happens is you build up a tolerance, and people come in on two or 300 milligrams of Trazodone. And while they've become accustomed to it, there is no question that there's a daytime hangover. It has a half-life of about eight hours, so it's about 4 o'clock the next afternoon before all the trazodone's out of your system. And I jokingly say, you don't see too many people on those doses of trazodone who are very innovative. Unfortunately, probably work for us or something, you know, and then it drag through the day, and then about four, it wears off, and then they have to start it over again. And then, you know, there are a long list of side effects of trazodone, uh, priapism, which is rare, but there have been legal cases over that, Um, drug-drug interactions, especially in neurology with certain drugs like Tegretol and Coumadin and so forth, some drug-drug interactions that we have to worry about as an alpha blockade where people get lightheaded sometimes on the trizodone and will faint. And it also suppresses REM sleep. Most of the people come in and get sleep studies that sleep all night, that don't feel good in the daytime on trizodone. Their REM latency is not 90 minutes. It's like 300 minutes. And they have 5% REM sleep, not 20% REM sleep. So it's done a number on their sleep architecture, and that's why they feel tired during the day. And we spend a lot of time getting patients off of it, and invariably they... Uh, tell us they feel much better once they get off of it.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is sleep expert Dr. Doug Hudson. We are discussing the treatment of insomnia. Okay, Dr. Hudson, so I'll I'll scratch trazodone from my list. How about Ambien, which I think is probably the second most common sleep medicine used these days?
1: Ambien's a blockbuster drug, and uh, it does work. We have people that have been on it for 10 years who function at a very high level, teach at the university. It has a short half-life. It's usually out of your system the next day. The worst thing that happens if you take it for a year and stop it is you don't sleep, maybe. Not too much rebound over a night or two. There were, as you know, reports not so long ago of people doing strange things when they take Ambien, and the popular ones in the Congress where they, you know, might drink a fifth of vodka and take an Ambien and have a wreck and blame it on the Ambien, and that's not quite fair. But we started inquiring about it, and I know the physicians at the uh, University of Minnesota have studied this and published this information that there is no question that there is a population of people who because of the receptor binding that it does, that people get up and do things at night and don't remember it. And so we're asking more and more patients about it, and if patients do that, then it's not their drug. But it doesn't happen a lot, but enough to to make it not their drug sometimes. I mean, I had a lady the other day who said she knew where her children's Halloween candy was so she found the wrappers at night, and she's not a big eater. Another lady ate a big bag of Cheetos and didn't know how, why and another lady who, and this is the best of all, she got up and did her laundry and and then dried her clothes, folded them all, and she did it two nights, and she felt great the next day. So,
0: Are those peculiar effects unique to Ambien?
1: You know, I thought they were until another one I guess we'll discuss is Lunesta, which uh, I had another Lunesta nighttime uh, performance on Lunesta, but it is a little more popular with Ambien, and I think it needs to be studied in more detail. I mean, to its advantage to see what's happening, and it's more common with ambient.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM two thirty three, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is sleep expert Dr. Doug Hudson. We are discussing the treatment of insomnia. Let's talk about Lunesta. How have you found that in your practice?
1: Well, it works for some people. Uh, it's a very similar. To Ambien, it has a little bit of different binding to the GABA receptors and a uh, little longer half-life. Unfortunately, about 20-so percent of the patients have this metallic taste the next day, and some just abhor that and can't tolerate the drug, and so we scratch that off. But uh, some love it, and we continue on if they've had a trouble with Ambien in any way or want to try something new. But it's very similar to Ambien.
0: One of the things that's helped in our patients is to have them take the Lunesta with some orange juice at night and that seems to help with that nasty taste in the morning.
1: Yeah, I think we've tried some of that and I'll uh, try it and we keep trying things like that, but some people get used to it. I've had people that that have been on it for a month or two and I'll say something about glad you don't have the taste and I say oh no I have it I think they need to study that it's like some people eat asparagus for example the aspartic acid either doesn't break down or does break down i don't forget what and you like that enzyme and the urine's very musty so this taste that comes out is some enzymatic failure action, and we need to, they need to find out.
0: Well, we had one patient who was convinced that one thing worked convincingly for the taste, and that was massive doses of chocolate. Now, how about one of the other new ones, Roserum? Where do you see that fitting in?
1: Well, that's a very interesting drug, and I find that we use Roserum in combination with the other one sometimes. Roserum, as you know, is a drug that's designed for sleep onset, not necessarily maintenance, so it's not a knockout drug like ambient or Lunesta and people that are expecting to sleep all night when they take Roserum, but it does help with the timing of sleep and the circadian rhythm, and so we use it when people can't go to sleep till certain times of the night, and we want to then get them to sleep with Ambien or something and then add Roserum. It's interesting, though, that it's classified as a hypnotic, and it's they would like for it to be classified as a somnochromatic, and so we sometimes use it together. Uh, if a doctor orders five blood pressure medicines or 5 antipsychotics, or five anti-convulsants, uh, the insurance companies aren't upset, but two sleeping pills and they go ballistic. I think there is a need for things like Roserum in combination with amin, and some people that have the problem of these melatonin receptors not working right, it, it works great for them. There's a lot more to the story than, than I'm telling you here, but it, it does work for some people.
0: Well, it sounds like, as with most things in medicine, there's no one cure-all, huh? That is correct. Well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Doug Hudson. We have been discussing the treatment of insomnia. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.